Welcome to PhD to Industry, the podcast that empowers graduate students, PhDs, postdocs, and academics to explore and succeed in fulfilling non-academic careers. I'm your host, Aditya, and I'm here to provide you with insights and practical advice by interviewing industry leaders and experts. You can find show notes and key learnings from this episode and numerous other helpful resources at phd2industry.substack.com. Today, our guest is Madalena. She is a behavioral scientist and a digital health strategist with over a decade of experience in digital health. And she brings a combination of academy as well as industry experience in various end-to-end flows of building and delivering products. Currently, she works as the Director of Digital Health Oncology R&D at AstraZeneca, and she has a PhD in clinical psychology and completed her postdoc in behavioral medicine from the ICANN School of Medicine at Mount Sinai. Also, fun fact, she recently got an MBA from Cornell and also has an MS in healthcare policy from Cornell Graduate School of Medicine as well. So, very accomplished professional here. So, Madalena, welcome to the show. Thank you, Aditya. And as you can tell, I really love going to school. Yes, you do love. <laughs> that is true. So, for just as some context, me and Madalena were colleagues at AstraZeneca. We worked on various digital health products for two years. And, the, and I've always had a great impression of Madalena and she's a great professional as well as an academic. So I thought she'd be a great person to host on the show. So maybe as we start, Madalena, for listeners who are not familiar with you, could you briefly talk about your journey to your PhD and how you decided to pursue your PhD? Of course. And then that, that's a great question to, to take me back a bit in history. At the time, before deciding to embark on a PhD, I thought my career journey will culminate with me being a therapist, so doing counseling, hence my PhD in clinical psychology. And as probably everyone listening to to this podcast will be very well aware of, the PhD takes you to a research type of journey and in the end you might love that or you might not. I ended up loving that research journey and focusing or honing my research skills. So after completing my PhD, I ended up for deciding to become a postdoc in behavioral medicine. So following this research journey. And I would say this would be the path that put me <laughs> on the the current the current trajectory because it was specifically those research skills that I felt I took with me later in my industry career and later in my uh, industry uh, steps. Great, and you mentioned you were at some point maybe even a practicing therapist, and later decided to pursue perhaps a different path. If that's true, what led you to not wanting to choose being a full-time therapist in practicing therapist? Yes, yes, indeed I was. Indeed I was. And in as a fun fact, actually even had my private practice for a while. And I deeply loved that. I really 
But as I mentioned now, during the PhD and even during the postdoc, it was that closeness to the research aspect of this work, right? So not just the interface with patients or not just the direct work with patients, but also research aspects of designing or investigating type or testing the impact of this or that technique or strategy. I think enjoying this work as much as I did, this was the decisional factor of going closer to the research field and maybe leaving beh behind, if I can say so, the therapy or the clinical psychology of it. But though now I say that it's not exactly that you're leaving it behind. You still use the skills, the insights, right. the knowledge. It's just that not so much that specific format. That's interesting. So your love for research pulled you back in the direction is what I heard. And, Absolutely. Yes. And would you say for your postdoc and maybe even beyond that when you transition to industry, why did you decide that practicing this kind of research-based or scientific approach made more sense for in the industry setting rather than the academic setting for you? That's a great question. And uh... For a while, I wasn't sure because working in academia or completing your PhD, perhaps even completing a postdoc, you don't quite know what's outside of academia. So I can't really say that it was a decision to join industry. I wasn't aware what industry or what kind of career opportunities would be out there. For my type of research, the interventions that I was designing and investigating, if you will, lent themselves to a digital format. So it happened that I'm in closer contact to the digital health, the technology, the innovation. I think that familiarity, once I got that, it sparked my interest. I wanted to learn more and wanting to learn more than I got in touch with more people in on the industry side. Got it. That makes sense. And as you went from your postdoc experience to your first industry role, could you recall some of your specific steps you took or some of the initiatives you pursued to make that happen? Yes, I was very active in participating and being intentional with participating and volunteering in the types of, let's say, associations that your field might have. In my field, that was behavioral medicine. So we have specific societies, conferences that take place once a year and so on. So I was very mindful and intentional about being active networking and having conversations with scientists that were in part of the same associations, but were already now in industry. So yeah. I was active in reaching out and trying to learn more about what that means, what kind of roles they're, they're having right now, how did they get there, what kind of skills would I need, should I want to do that in the future, so what would be the gap between the skills that I can say I'm having right now, and what would they see as being necessary for a step like that. So I would say that was very helpful, but I was very intentional and, if you will, systematic about that. Great. And we... We chatted about this offline a little bit, but something I found interesting was how your networking was spanned across multiple years, even for yeah. like the first tr transition role. Could you speak about the consistency with which you were networking and the duration before 
before your move? Yeah, so I took that on as a, let's say, a research activity, if you will. As I mentioned earlier, being in academia, you don't really know what's out there. And I wasn't sure exactly what would I enjoy doing. And I take the PhD, it's really about honing your research skills in your unique area of interest in your unique topic. But then I had the fortune of doing a postdoc and that postdoc for me was a period of exploration and trying to learn what could this career trajectory be. So I took a first a few years then to really explore and learn. And I did that, as I mentioned, perhaps as a scientist, trying to uh, take almost like a qualitative research approach and learning about roles and having conversations with people, not because I wanted the role immediately. I didn't even know what that role could be, but because I wanted to learn what that might mean and have in my mind almost a, a structure of potential career steps that I could take later on. So I would say it took at least a couple of years and it wasn't the kind of networking that would be associated with, hey, I need a job. Could you please make sure that happens? No, it was more about a learning approach. And I know people use this term informational interviewing. So I did that a lot. I also enjoyed that. I enjoy meeting new people and learning about their career. So it wasn't so much an ask type of approach. It was a learning type of approach. Yeah. And yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And as you mentioned, I think previously as well, that network, networking was key. And, yes. and one of the challenges with networking that many find is how can the person asking for, let's say, interview, in, informational interview, provide value back to the person? Do you have any advice on thinking about when you reach out, like what is the value that the person reaching out could add to the conversation yes that that's a good topic to think about and i would say sometimes it's going to be difficult to provide something as a quid pro quo type of approach and i yeah. found that it's very often that people are willing to give a little bit of their time to support you in learning about something it might be more difficult if you have a specific ask for them hey i'm looking for a job can you yeah. do that for me? That might be difficult because one, they don't know you and two, they might not even have opportunities for you. But I found, at least in my experience, that it's more often than not that people will give you a little bit of their time if you have a specific question or if you want to learn something that they can they can share from their own careers. It's not so much that you have to give something back right away and oftentimes it was in their experience as well that someone else gave them a little bit of coaching, someone else gave them a little bit of mentoring. So it's always that mentality of giving back when you can give back. And now, and I'm sure that happens to you, we're probably in a position where we get these types of questions or when we get these types of, I don't know, I'm going to call them coffee chat invites. And yeah. I, I do tend to entertain them if whoever I can help has a specific maybe 15 minutes or 20 minutes time-bound interval for me. Yeah, that's a great point that people may be more willing than some people may fear and never reach out. So that's great advice. And especially if it's not an immediate ask, hey, give yeah. me a job, <laughs> then people yeah. are obviously <laughs> more open to that. One of the things you mentioned 
during your time was not knowing what is out in industry and just not having that kind of wide lens into the industry, but maybe also opportunities in the future. So would love to explore some questions on your current domain expertise and your academic expertise of the field of behavioral science and digital health. And there may be a lot of people listening today who may be being exposed to some of these ideas for the first time, or maybe spark an interest in pursuing this field. So at the very high level, would you mind explaining what field you work in currently and what are some of the uh, uh, kind of opportunities in that field? Sure. So currently I work in the digital health space yeah. and um, the I would say the pathway for me to get here initially, my first role in industry was one of more science focused. I was a manager of behavior science. So yeah. what that meant is that immediately I was able to translate some of the skills or some of the knowledge base that I was using before in my postdoc or my previous research days and immediately transfer that into that first role. And from there, of course, with time, you, you might evolve to other type of roles as it happened to me. And I moved a little further away from behavioral science specifically and more into the world of digital health at the, and more at the juncture of, let's say, science with business and technology. It will probably be often the case that maybe your first role would be more close to your unique niche or your area of expertise. And yeah. then from there, you might take on different opportunities because a new kind of, of a new kind of doors will open for you as you will start also gaining skills within that role. Um, so behavioral science in industry, right? Going back to that question. I would say it's the world of or the science of changing behavior. And if I think about it in this broad sense, where is it in industry, digital health or not, that we're not talking about changing behavior? That's a very broad, I would say, type of, um, it's true. <laughs> of ability yeah. to have. But more specifically in digital health, what that means is having a very thoughtful and focused approach on what might the patient or whoever you're end user is, what are their needs and what is your product or service or whatever it is that you're providing, how is that supporting their needs and how is that supporting the behavior that you're uh, focusing on. Um, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And it, that, that kind of applies across perhaps multiple different fields that, that advice and that insight. So thank you for sharing that. In in terms of the future of digital health, I'm curious where the biggest problems lie, which probably will translate to some of the opportunities coming up in the next, let's say, five to 10 years for people to work on. So from your experience, would you share with us some of the biggest challenges that probably are worth solving in the digital health space over the next few years? Yes, there there are probably many challenges that we can we can deep dive on, but perhaps I'll select the one that's closer to what I was just talking about, behavior science. And I would say one of the challenges that I think it's still it's still on the verge of just just being open to more 
the expertise is that of how might we be able to change behavior and support user needs with our technology. And oftentimes what happens is that we get very very infatuated, if you will, with a specific tool or with a specific technology and try to fit that uh, or overimpose that into the circumstances of the patient or the of whoever the end user is. And that is still something that I think should rather be the other way around. What are the needs that we're trying to address? And then what could be the solutions that could be used to support the set needs? So that's in my mind, something that I think about quite a lot and something that I work on quite a lot. That makes a lot of sense. And what are you working on over the next few years in, in this field? Is there a project that's very exciting to you that you're very passionate about coming up? Oh, uh, absolutely. Uh, many projects and many, many, I would say, solutions that I'm very excited to be able to bring forward to patients, to healthcare providers, I would say, um, very excited about the opportunity of bringing forward the kind of innovation that we've been talking now as an industry for a few years now, but making sure that when we do put it in the hands of the patient or in the hands of the clinician, it really has the the potential to make a change in their lives and really improve their health outcomes. Makes a lot of sense. And that's the kind of, we resonate in that kind of passion, I think. It's, I've been involved in digital health for a long time as well. So I totally agree that there's a lot of exciting technologies and needs that need to be worked on. And yeah, that's an exciting future for the field. Absolutely. So I would love to move on towards the end of the podcast. This has been a quick episode love to go into a lightning round where I'd love to ask you some quick questions and could just answer the first thing that comes to your mind. Sounds fun. All right. So first one is if you could only eat one food for the rest of your life, what would it be? Chocolate cake. (laughs) You did not need any time to think about that. (laughs) Nope. (laughs) Love it. Love it. What is your favorite recent tv show or movie uh, perhaps it's not so recent but i i lagged with my time to use it to spend time on it westworld oh yes that's a good one have you watched all of the seasons i'm just on the last season now and i'm yeah entertained <laughs> i used to watch that show with my grad school <laughs> roommate <laughs> at the time so that's a good one in terms of my third question so is there a travel destination in mind for you for your next trip? I would love to go back home and have my young daughter meet the rest of her family. So back home from East Romania. And I'm very excited about planning our now next trip as a family. Oh, that's very cute. Has, <laughs> uh, has your daughter traveled or on a, been on a plane yet? No, she has not. Oh. And thinking about that, I don't know, 13 hour flight yeah yeah an exciting one to have in mind (laughs) we'll have to connect offline i had some experience flying to europe (laughs) back with a toddler i'd love to share my thoughts (laughs) oh yes i need to get some tips and advice yes and the last question on this round is what is the best advice you've ever gotten that you would like to now give to a phd 
be intentional and systematic about networking and don't be too afraid to reach out because again, more often than not, people will want to help out and give you a little bit of their time to help you in your career efforts. Great advice. And I'm, I can attest to that because that's exactly what I did. I reached out to Madalena, asked her <laughs> for a request to join the podcast and she graciously accepted. Yeah, totally great feedback and great advice. To close the episode today, before we wrap up, would love to ask you if people were interested in reaching out to you, can they find you somewhere online? And at the same time, how can listeners connect with you? Yeah, of course. My LinkedIn profile is open, so please feel free to reach out. Again, as I mentioned, take the time to do that and be intentional about it. Reach out to me and to other people that you find to be of interest on LinkedIn. I'm sure you will get more answers than rejections. Great. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time and have a good weekend. Thank you so much. Enjoy your weekend. And to everyone listening this podcast, good luck with your efforts. Great. Thank you. Great. Bye. I hope you found that valuable. If you'd like to tune in to similar future episodes, please subscribe. You can also find detailed show notes and key learnings from this episode and numerous other helpful resources at phd2industry.substack.com. Thank you for listening and hope to see you in the next episode.